0: Good morning, afternoon, and evening to all of our viewers across the globe. From VehaU Inside Business, I am your host, Nicholas Peterson, and I'd like to welcome you to our all-new virtual studio here at VehaU Inside Business, where we are tonight debuting the first episode of our all-new program that we call Perspectives. Since 2018, we have been producing insightful one-on-one interviews with many of the business leaders connected to our VEHAU network. But tonight we have decided to change it up a bit and bring you an entire panel for a fair and live discussion on the monumental shifts that have occurred in the global financial markets since the year began. I will bring you back to the start of 2021. In January, the infamous short squeeze of GameStop, triggered by users of the subreddit Wall Street Bets, caused short sellers to lose around $6 billion globally. In February, Tesla bought $1.5 billion in Bitcoin and subsequently Goldman Sachs restarted its cryptocurrency trading desk. In March, a non-fungible token NFT in the form of a JPEG file sold for $69.3 million at Christie's and Jack Dorsey's original tweet sold for $2.9 million dollars. In April, Ethereum touched a new peak with reports about the European Investment Bank's plan to launch a digital bond sale on the Ethereum network. Finally, Dogecoin, which started as a joke designed to illustrate the absurdity of the cryptocurrency friendly is, brace yourselves, up over 11,000% this year to date. Now, with all the craze that we've witnessed so far we at Vehau Inside Business decided to partner with InPraxy, the Alumni Association of Vehau, and assemble a panel of expert alumni to discuss the impacts of these phenomena. First, we have Matthew Eckroth. Matthew Eckroth is a former systematic portfolio manager and strategist with nearly 20 years of experience at investment banks and hedge funds, including Goldman Sachs, Lehman Brothers, and Engineers Gate. Over the past four years, he has headed data strategy efforts at Sentient Investment Management and Morgan Stanley Co International. Matthew attended a post-degree course at the University of Mannheim and began his career as a financial analyst in Frankfurt. He is a fintech enthusiast and has recently launched a company to offer comprehensive data strategy as a service to investment management firms of all sizes. Welcome, Matthew. Second... We will be joined by Dr. Boris Vetz. Boris, who completed a master's and PhD at VehaU class of 96 and ninety nine respectively, is a founding partner of Version One and one of the top tech uh, one of the top tech early stage investors in North America. Born in Germany and based in Vancouver, Boris takes a wide angle view to find great companies all across North America, from New York to in Toronto to Seattle and Los Angeles. He is a board partner with Anderson Horowitz and is well respected for his uncanny ability to find the next generation of leaders. Today, Boris is focused on crypto and blockchain uh, marketplaces and SaaS, looking for the best teams who solve big problems in a unique way. Uh, As an investor and former entrepreneur, Boris knows when to push and when to ease off, while always remembering that he is an advisor and not a player. Third, oh, first of all, hi, Dr. Bo- Dr. Wertz. Welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you. Um, third, we are joined by Dr. Jürgen Werf, who completed a PhD at VehaU, class of 2003, uh, is an innovator and entrepreneur of payment solutions, digital currency, and financial technology. He was the founder and CEO of Mercedes Pay, formerly called uh, PayCash, PayCash and led uh, the company, a patent pending fintech company offering e-wallet and payment services in the EU, China, the U.S. and Canada from inception to acquisition by, of course, Daimler. Uh, Mercedes Pay was the first regulated institution to legally cooperate with U.S. Bitcoin exchanges in Luxembourg. And finally, uh, our fourth panelist, uh, first panelist this evening. Uh, hi, Jorgen. Sorry. <laughs> and our, our fourth uh, panelist this evening is Zimon Peters, uh, who completed his bachelor's at WHO, uh and is the managing director of Decus Network GmbH, an all-in entrepreneur with a passion for challenging markets and disruptive technology. Previously, Zimon worked as venture pioneer at the impact-driven company builder. Ampion Ventures. Uh, his vision is to build flexible incentive-based networks replacing rigid systems. And last but not first of all, Hi Simon. Welcome. Uh, And last but not least, our moderator for this evening is our very own dean of students here at VehaU, Professor Dr. Marcus Rudolph. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you will enjoy the following discussion. Please post your comments. And be sure to like us on uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, everywhere you can find us. And without further ado, uh, Professor Rudolph, the floor is yours.
1: Thank you very much, Nicholas. And good evening to everybody. First of all, to the speakers. I'm very happy to be able to moderate the discussion which is coming up. And I'm very happy to see um, some of the faces, at least, that I have seen already here in the classroom. And this time, as successful entrepreneurs in front of me, um, and I may say that we are all a little bit proud on what um, you have achieved and what the VHU alumni are achieving, and that is also because um, that's also why I am I'm so happy to be able to be the moderator of that VHU inside business session tonight, um, because we have, I heard that we have a three-digit number of participants taking place tonight. Uh, I don't see it here on the screen, but we obviously have many people who are following us, and that's Great. Um, and um, I would like to say hello to everybody out there, um, either people who have been members of the VAO community or people who are not yet members of the VAO community. But we are very happy uh, to discuss with you important topics. Well, the topic today is is old school finance debt. And um, it's uh, maybe a little bit characterizing that nicolas asked me to moderate such a discussion on old finance and how old finance can be shifted into new finance because i am a professor of finance here at the school since many many years Jürgen knows that we have a common time which is almost 20 years ago uh, meanwhile Um, and um, um, and what we learned in the classroom when we're talking about old finance is very much about efficient markets so the efficient market hypothesis is one of the core elements of what we would call classical finance or old finance, however you would like to call it. Um, And by the way, um, the efficient market hypothesis driven forward, especially by Gene Farmer, but by many other economists as well, has been rewarded by the Nobel Prize, um, comparatively recently, together with some behavioral economists like um, Robert Schiller. Um, So in other words, this old finance, at least in the classroom and in the research area, seems to be still relevant um, concepts which are rewarded by Nobel Prizes are by definition relevant. And now um, the question is what is it that we are faced with in these days? And I would like to start uh, with a phenomenon that Nicholas has already um, teased on a little bit, namely the development of the GameStop Corporation share price, um, which we have been able to observe in January this year. So, in other words, comparatively recently. I mean what we have to know is that GameStop is a comparatively or has been a comparatively boring company um, in the sense that um, they were basically selling video games, uh, they did have um, 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 a record revenue, it's a big platform, a big um, a big company selling video games with uh, 56.9 billion um, of, of revenue, so in other words it is a classical company, however, a company which has been founded in the years before the internet hype was started. And now, of course, um gaming is as popular as it as it, as it never has been, but you don't go into a store anymore and buy uh, buy the games over there. and that is the reason why, in January two thousand and twenty one, um a couple of investors, especially um, especially, um, um, institutional investors, hedge funds, um, were trying to make profits by going short into um, GameStop shares. And I think the uh, the hedge fund which was, which was probably most involved here was Melvin Capital, uh, a New York-based company with 6 billion assets under management. And then something happened, what probably did never happen before, namely... Um, but maybe something crazy so to say happened at least from the viewpoint of the classical old finance, namely, users on a reddit forum called the Wall Street Bets. Um, they basically put themselves together to a crowd and were betting against the six billion, um, hedge fund, which was shorting GameStop shares with the effect that the GameStop share price within only a couple of days or weeks, Uh, has been multiplied by the factor 16. And of course, if you know, I mean, if you are short (laughs) on an asset, which then multiplies its value by 16, then you have a problem. Uh, And de facto, you had a problem. And the the first question that I would like to raise is, is that what we are observing there only crazy, or is it really a contradiction of the efficient market hypothesis? So, is it still so that all relevant information is reflected by market prices Or is this something completely new? And if I may, I would like to start passing this question to the only one here who at least was for a while a classical banker, namely Matthew. Um, If I may, can I ask you for your understanding of the situation and give us a little bit more orientation here?
2: First of all, thanks very much for the invitation to attend the panel tonight. Uh, Very excited to be here. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things happening in the financial world in 2021. GameStop certainly uh, kicked off the year with a bang. Uh, And as Professor Rudolph was just mentioning, the the laws of traditional finance and market security pricing seem to be uh, not applying anymore. Uh, And the question is, what is what is really going on here? Um, And I think uh, there's some unique issues going on that that are equally relevant for GameStop uh, and Bitcoin. We will come to that later tonight. Um, But with GameStop, as you pointed out, uh, this started out as, a you know, GameStop is a a company that many people in the U.S. will be familiar with. They're they're an old school bricks and mortar um, store that is in most malls in in the United States and was until recently really a dying company. Their business model was just, uh, really old-fashioned old- school and uh, smart operators uh, you know, I use that in, in parentheses smart operators like Melvin capital saw that this was a dying company and basically betting on the stock going to zero uh, and uh, you know market uh, practitioners are well aware of the short squeeze phenomenon where if too many too many market participants take a short position they are potentially vulnerable to a short squeeze and that usually means the stock might go up 10 15 20 percent. Maybe it would go up 100 uh, percent, but something very unique happened with GameStop uh, that never really happened before in, uh, in the public markets. And that is you had a literal retail army through primarily through the Wall Street Reddit's um, uh, blog uh, over a period of months decided to, uh, to more or less to band together. And GameStop became uh, much more than just a stock play or an investment for uh, for you know retail retail investors. It became to represent a movement, uh, and that movement took on a, a life of its own, and it became a self-fulfilling, well, self-feeding, uh, a self-feeding process. The more the stock went up, the more that the early investors uh, made money, and the more of these people were posting. Their Robin Hood balances on Wall Street Reddit's, exciting even more people, uh, and then it just kept going on and on until the stock went up to I think almost five hundred dollars. Uh, so something very very special happens here, and uh, it is very very different from what certainly people like myself who've been in the markets for many years are used to. And I can tell you that uh, it scared. Uh, to death, a lot of people in, let's call it, in old-school finance and traditional brokerages because it seemed to upend the rules that the market has been playing by. Or, you know, The question is whether these rules are still applying now.
1: Thank you very much, Matthew. Um, I mean, Boris, you are at least somebody who is investing into a company, who is used to investing into companies. i um, not sure whether you are... Um, um, a publicly listed company investor but you're investing into companies So, in other words this is a phenomenon which should interest you um, as well because there might be conclusions drawable also to the kind of investments that you are doing so how what is your um judgment of the situation how would you evaluate it
3: yeah i think it's 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 super interesting i mean we, first of all version one is only investing in private companies and and hope that uh you know these private companies go public at some stage but I think what is really interesting to 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 see what has happened over the last little while, independent of, of public stock investing, is just the power of narratives, the power of social media, the power of communities, the power of memes, and and all of that is like a a, a, a bigger trend uh, that I think is influencing um, kind of how companies are valued in the eyes of of uh, other people, right and. You obviously have seen that uh, play masterfully by Elon Musk with Tesla, where um, you know everybody would agree that Tesla not necessarily uh, get, gets valued anymore on pure economic uh, outlook, but also by the the power of the narrative of an Elon Musk and and how he's he's communicating that. And uh, I think what we've seen for the first time now in in, in GameStop is just. Uh, that the power of the narrative, the power of the meme, uh, the power of social media uh, was not done by a single person, but by a community that organized themselves, right? And so I think we, we're going to see more of that going forward in, in, a, in a world um, that gets more and more complex and noisy. Sometimes simple narratives, simple memes uh, have, have a really powerful uh, impact on people. And we've seen that playing out with GameStop and uh, and 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 we see that playing out every single day on in crypto, right? And 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 we'll we'll talk about that later. But I feel like that that's probably the the market in general It's not a single coin that is driven by that, but it's it's the whole market that is driven by that. Um, and so I think it's something that we're gonna gonna live with uh, for better or worse um, going forward.
1: Right. Thank you, Boris. I mean, if you say memes, um, memes is basically another word for um a certain way of information processing now that you have in the internet and, and forgive me that i tried to get back to the original question the original question is are is information still still reflected by a market prices so when you are saying these are memes this is another kind of information than the one that they typically have i mean when i was young and when i was learning finance uh, you you read the newspaper and maybe had a Bloomberg screen, but you didn't have that speed of information. You didn't have memes and narratives in these, in these things. Maybe Simon or Jurgen, um, would you think that we need a new market efficiency theory if memes are the dominant pieces of information rather than old-fashioned information?
4: Well, um, let, let me start with it. I mean, I fully agree what what Boris and, and Matthew said. But I think there's there's another thing on top. I think the time when it happened, I think the market changed because there was one effect, which were all the checks that were distributed in the last year because of the COVID to a vast population in the US. And the second thing was the, the Robin Hood's and 26 trade republics of the planet. So trading with small money became more It was a lot of gamification there that was 20 years ago when you were sitting in front of a Bloomberg screen or filling out a form in Deutsche Bank to buy a share was totally different. So everything was at your fingertip. There was not the classical media break anymore. So you get a Twitter message and a second later you could trade whatever you saw there. No, no matter if the information was that somebody was invading the capital, uh, the Capitol in the States, or somebody was posting that it just made a lot of money on the, the share X, Y, Z. So I, I think there, there's this component that, you know, the what, Marcus, you know, the German government is trying since I don't know how many decades to to kind of like to put more people on the stock market that was happening, especially in the States. Because of the checks, they were distributed by the government and people didn't know what to do with it. So they said, let's play around with it. And they, they had the technology ability, the technological ability to really exercise all of that. And I, and, and that became so big, much bigger than the classical people with an education uh, would imagine that, that it, it would happen. And, and, and I think this is, this is something new. Uh, I still believe that these people at some point of time have to buy finally the washing machine that they were supposed to buy with this uh, one and a half thousand uh, US dollars that they got the check for. And then they may act a little bit more rational than they were doing when they thought they were just gaming on something.
1: Thank you. I also would like to ask Simon for your opinion. And the other gentleman, please just raise your hand analogously. analogously. (laughs) I, I can see it. I don't know where there is a digital hand. If you want to talk, but Simon, have you got an opinion on it?
5: Absolutely, and I, and I want to build on on uh, on all the things that the, the speakers before me said, and especially on 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 a wording that Matthew used, the retail army, and we are seeing these army armies organizing themselves, right? We see we saw that in, in on Wall Street bats with um, with uh, with GameStop, we see that on all the crypto forums, right? Like there's a million Wall Street bets on Reddit for, for crypto alone, and these these meme boards, these online boards that organize, organize themselves, right? We've seen that somewhere else too, QAnon. And what is QAnon again? It is this online board in anonymity where truth drops come. And when we look at Wall Street Bets, in a sense, it's again a truth drop. Like somebody drops something that may or may not happen and you'll feel free to believe it. But the idea that I as an anonymous person that maybe has not been part of any special group, now can, can join online without any limitation and become part of this kind of group that shares secrets um secrets that nobody else has that just we as a selective one have and can in in the case of Wall Street bet can even make money on it. I think that is something that is a, has a very powerful psychology um behind it. and I think this is something that we have to understand that these that these are a the new for new way or new form of social organizations and we see them politically, we see them. Economically, and uh, we also see them socially, and it's all driven by an incredible speed of information. Right? What what I was mentioned. I I now can see the tweet five minutes after I was tweeted can directly you know switch my app, go on Robinhood, and and put five hundred bucks in it. And I think this is really what we what we have to understand that there's a new kind of of social organization um, coming around. Yeah, I think that is yeah.
1: And Simon, is that speed of information? Contributing to more market efficiency or to less market efficiency? I think
5: this is the I, I would Yeah, I, I would say really the market I, I still believe that the markets are in of itself efficient. Um now the question is what is what is this value at what we're seeing? Is there is there anything is there any real value in that? Could it be that the games of investor had a point? Like, is there a real point that maybe it's a brick and water um, retail store that it's definitely going out of business? All our, uh, like, if you look at it in, 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 in analytic cases, if you make an analysis, it becomes clear games that should go out of business. But maybe the community around Gamestop is something that wasn't really qualified uh, and, and wasn't really understood as a, as a as a market mechanism. But now these fans of Gamestop, you know, pushed up the course at least partially, may, maybe they have made a statement. So. I, I would say maybe, market, or I, I think markets are still efficient, we just need a new way to, to read into that.
2: Yeah, I, I'd like to add here to Professor Rudolph's question, is should we throw away Fama and French and efficient market hypotheses because of what happened with GameStop? I think the answer is, is, is definitively not. Um, I love Warren Buffett's uh, saying that in, in, the short run, in the short run, markets are a voting machine, in the long run they're a weighing machine. So uh, and the market is voting uh, and the market, when I say the market here, I mean uh, heavily Wall Street, Reddit, retail based market has decided in the near term that GameStop is uh, is worth a lot more than the professionals uh, think, it's, think it's worth. Uh, at the end of the day, why does anybody buy an equity? You are buying a share in a company, a stake in a company because you're, you're valuing future cash flows that you'll receive as an owner of that company. Um, well, GameStop is not returning any, any cash flows to investors right now. So either the retail uh, trading population has a much better predictive prediction ability than the institutional investors. And they're seeing the company transform in a way that hasn't been seen by institutional investors. Um, so, again, I think the answer is we, we need to wait and, and find out what's going on. Um, my, my view is that there's something very different going on that is very unique to GameStop. I don't think in this movement there can be another GameStop. AMC might be a game, kind of a mini GameStop phenomenon, but the other names that have been mentioned on Wall Street bets uh, that come up in the kind of the retail chat rooms, uh, if you look at their price action, many of them have gone up as the chatter has increased, and then when the chatter moves onto another name, they go right back down again. Uh, And GameStop had this as well, but the stock actually has been surprisingly stable For a while now for I think six seven weeks around the hundred and fifty dollar price Which is still very very expensive relative to a comparable company in the same situation But I think GameStop is is the exception that confirms the rule
1: And I mean we, we were talking about cryptocurrencies quite a couple of times already um I mean when we talk about um of course Bitcoin um that um Nicholas you have mentioned that that basically was pushed only because Elon Musk was sending a tweet or Dogecoin or what we are currently observing in, in either an Ethereum, even though I personally think that Ethereum and Bitcoin is a completely different thing. Um however, um if you if we, if we go from GameStop to cryptocurrencies. Is that a comparable phenomenon, Um, namely the fact that based on social media immense market movements are taking place uh, or is that a completely different thing? Um, And of course, I'm always having the efficient market hypothesis a little bit in my back, back mind, but how would you judge that? Is the Bitcoin case, Boris maybe, I think you unmuted yourself, is the Bitcoin case comparable to the GameStop case?
3: Listen. I think there's a few common elements, but 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 also like big big differences. I think the first one is obviously not not all cryptocurrency, but the whole idea of cryptocurrencies, decentralized finance is a new paradigm, right? That um, people expect to potentially challenge existing finance, right? And existing currencies. And so I think it's like there's first of all, it starts with a really interesting technological innovation that might build uh, some, some real economic value, right? So I think that's a little bit different to the GameStop uh, h- hypothesis that you know, I, I don't think anybody can see right now the economic value around the corner that, that's going to get built up. Potentially, it might happen, but that, that's probably not what, what has driven the, 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 the price action as of late. So I think um, there's some, some real uh, opportunity Around cryptocurrencies and decentralized finance being incredibly economic platforms down the road, uh, but I think what is what is the the, the same thing or kind of similar uh, things that are happening is is obviously um, the frictionless nature of engaging in cryptocurrencies and 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 buying them on a on a fingertip in in very small amounts that we never had, and that's that's a little bit similar to what happened with GameStop and Robinhood. Uh, Obviously, cryptocurrencies is even more like less less friction, more global, a much bigger market than than a gamestop and and uh, secondly, what is happening is obviously that social media and communities uh, play a really big role and I think especially when you look at cryptocurrencies, the early supporters of cryptocurrencies and you saw saw that especially with bitcoin, but you see it increasingly in in in, in ethereum it's just Almost like a cult-like following of of uh, these cryptocurrency platforms, and people really believing in the mission and uh, the, the the long-term outlook of these these platforms, and certainly promoting that in that way and communicating that way. So, um, so overall, I would say it's it's a, it's a different economic case. I'm, I'm I'm a big believer that there's a tremendous upside in the economic case, but. Some of the underlying factors, why it has gotten so much traction so quickly and why there's so much price action is certainly uh, similar to what happened to GameStop and and uh, what we've seen there.
0: And if I may j- jump in there, I mean, this this question has been pondering in the back of my mind for ever since this GameStop phenomenon happened. And to your point, uh, Professor Rudolph, about this, um, the efficient markets, when you know, for example, in the, in the movie Wall Street with Michael Douglas back in the day, and when he's calling in the pump and dump scheme, this in America, like in American in the American stock market, this is illegal. And if you get caught doing this, which is, you know, telling people that this company is uh, highly undervalued when it's not. So therefore, manipulating this efficient uh, market communication, uh, this is illegal and you can go to jail for that. But with GameStop, they intentionally manipulated this communication, you know, of efficient markets. They manipulated the efficient market it is not worth it, it. GameStop stock was definitely not ever worth anywhere close to $500 per share. But because they didn't say on Wall Street bets that it's undervalued, that's why you should invest. Instead, they said, no, we just wanna, you know, we just wanna screw with the with the establishment and give the middle finger to the hedge fund managers so please buy GameStop because they said it in that way, it it wasn't illegal. And therefore, you know, there's this new, like going forward, will there need to be um, legal intervention into these sorts of things to make sure that we don't have what happened to GameStop, which is not valid. I mean, on any point, the, the company was a failing company. I've I shopped at GameStop many, many times as a teenager, but uh, yeah, these days everything's digital, like Professor Rudolph said. So I wonder what you guys' opinions on is the moving forward on? Is, would there be any legal action um, for these kind of legal pump and dump schemes to prevent this in the future?
1: Well, maybe, I mean, if I if I basically can second, second here, I mean, what is regulatorily legal and what is regulatorily not legal might also be distinguished between the old view and the new view. I mean, we're talking about your old finance and new finance, and now um, since information, also wrong information, if I understand your point correctly, can so easily be distributed, much easier than in the past. Maybe this is uh, a very relevant thing for regulators also. Simon?
2: Yeah.
5: I think that that's going to be really hard because in the end, um, it is also the reason why why we have no efficient tool against fake news, because it's very hard to determine if something is true or not. And to be judge of that. It is almost impossible, you know, like to, to I, I don't think it will create an efficient regulation to that. And especially since the the GameStop guys were not saying necessarily, you know, they, they were making reasonings, they were writing the small pages of, of this is my analysis, this is my reasoning. And you know, it it is it is not illegal, you know, to say something that, that you think is, is right, but it's obviously not true. And uh, nobody can prove that you knew it wasn't true. So I, I don't think that, that that any there's no way to do that. Mm-hmm
1: interesting
4: if 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 i may say something to this i mean you you also saw before the GameStop um share companies even listed in the german biggest index that were apparently valued in a wrong way uh, for a couple of years
1: uh,
4: until some truth finally came out, and you know, I, I think it's a question of speed, because, like you know, fake information and information can be distributed much faster nowadays. I'm not sure if the the, it's the fair value of the, asset, the price hits the fair value of the asset faster. I think it's still volatiles around it, and eventually it hits it. But I, I think people may still be wrong there because they just get the wrong information at the wrong point of time. So I think it's pretty tough because this is what you're saying, right? Because information is distributed faster. So actually share prices should have a lower volatility because there is no classical um, information gap which you have in the non-trading times on stock markets and so on and so forth. Um, So that may... I don't know. I don't see this yet. If I,
2: if I may,
1: sh- or Matthew, did you want to add something to that?
2: Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say quickly. I, I, I mean, I think the whole GameStop, the whole GameStop phenomenon is is incredibly fascinating, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's a book written about it or or, or a movie because there's a lot more than I think most people know. There, it wasn't just retail uh, retail investors. There were also some very sophisticated operators who got in on this and made a huge amounts of huge amounts of money. Um, and the initial thesis that was going around the, 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 the Wall Street Reddit forums was actually quite sound. I think uh, I, I remember in the last year that apparently uh, over 100 percent of the free float was shorted, which is uh, and I haven't verified that. But if that is actually true, it is pretty incredible that you would have such a large amount of the free float of a company shorted. So obviously, that puts the, the the shorts in a very very vulnerable position to experience exactly what we saw with with GameStop. So I, I think what started out as a, actually a genuine, interesting, and, and valid investment thesis, or certainly a trading thesis, turned into something completely different. Um, it's probably a topic for another uh, another perspectives uh, uh, panel. But I think um, you know very quickly what happened with with. Uh, with, with GameStop and I think what's happening in the crypto space is a manifestation of um, underlying themes and trends in the market. And that is, uh, you know, I guess in, in a nutshell, it's a, it's kind of a, uh, a disassociation by the younger generation uh, to, uh, to the financial systems a feeling of credible, incredible wealth, just, you know, disparity. And um and that the younger generation are missing out, uh, they, they think the system is rigged. And this was a chance to give the system a black eye. Um, so incredibly fascinating what, what's happened there and is still happening. In fact, now with crypto.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. It is very fascinating. And also because at least I have to admit for myself that not everything has been understood yet, at least not by me, but I guess there are other people. Uh, because the things are really uh, following new rules. Um, maybe Simon, if I may ask you, I mean, we were talking about bitcoin as a uh, as an example for for a cryptocurrency, but we have other cryptocurrencies, Ethereum, which I think is very much more sophisticated, but also Dogecoin, which is which I didn't think is very sophisticated. Could you explain us a little bit the differences between? Uh, the hypes that we have seen with Bitcoin, Dogecoin, either?
5: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I would love to. So, um, Bitcoin, of course, is, is one of the oldest one. Um, came directly out of the out of the financial crisis. Um, I would I would call it an MVP after all. It's a, it's a minimal viable product. It, it shows the basic logic of of what we can do, why we can build a financial system that has no central authority that controls it, but that it is self controlling. Um, and Ethereum is kind of the the the, the, the big deal, for, so to say. So Ethereum brings a lot of more innovation into it. There's not only, okay, we can not only trade, but we can program this money. We can create uh, can create start, uh, smart contracts, which is um, basically you, you can command money that it does something. But now this is very interesting because the money does something without oversight. And of course you, you, you can create a, you can, for example, salary payments can be a smart contract. and this of course creates a lot of a lot more security in 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 so many aspects to have contracts that cannot be broken and that act the, on the fine triggers okay the, the 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 package the supply has crossed my factory gate and the payment is triggered i mean i, I don't need to explain depend why this brings a lot of efficiency into the market right i guess so many things so many middlemen that we can cut out there's so much um there's so much efficiency that we can increase but now dogecoin kind of brings the um brings a big value question because what is Dogecoin? Dogecoin is kind of a, a copy paste version of Bitcoin. The, um, the few things are different, for example, while well, while well, while well, Bitcoin is 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 um def- defla- uh, it has a built-in deflation. So we have fewer, fewer and fewer and fewer Bitcoin coming into the system. There's a built-in inflation in Dogecoin. So uh, like right now I wouldn't buy Dogecoin, I would mine Dogecoin because mining Dogecoin is super super easy and you can directly exchange it for US dollar. So just as a it's a small uh, hint for one or the other nerd that's listening. Um, and so, so we have these, these three, um, these, these three categories for now. And the, the, the one question and I had this wonderful um, conversation with Matthew the other day is have Bitcoin value, right? Like, is it 50 is it 50,000 uh, US dollars worth? It, it doesn't pay any interest. It doesn't give you a ride. Um, does, does it really has have, have this value? And my personal opinion is yes, at least for now and the main reason is um it, it's really bitcoin is not an innovation for us so much that we that we live in the first world it is really for the for the for this one billion people right now who who, who live in uh, who who engage with remittances either by sending or depending on them and well remittances are mostly sent sending countries with 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 rather um dysfunctional institutions with with unstable governments and you have seen that the Nigeria, for example, has blocked the uh, blocked uh, Bitcoin recently or cryptocurrency. And so has Turkey. And why have they done that? Because the local c- local population is acknowledging that these currencies are are more effective, are, are more reasonable tools and means of, of exchange than the local currencies. And that is a big statement. And I think this is something we often forget when we talk about the, the price of Bitcoin. That is that literally, there's, there's, uh, I don't know, they didn't... I think uh, Paxful was the name of the of the exchange. It's uh, one of the few exchanges that, that allows Nigerians to trade. They had, in uh, this year alone, one and a half billion um, transaction volume, and much of that was remittances. And this is also the reason why these governments are are trying to to stop this this outflow, because it has become such a valid
0: alternative to the traditional financial system, and especially because it's without government. You know, and, yeah. on, on that point, Simon, uh, we have a question from one of our audience members from YouTube. Raphael, you know, what does the uh, what role does the entry of these institutions into the crypto crypto market result in? So how I mean, how will these institutions, I I know the EC the, the European Central Bank came out very against it, but we have um, you know on the other side we have funds in Germany that are accepting Ethereum. We have major institutions coming back and giving and you know giving legitimacy to crypto, cryptocurrency. So um, yeah, how how will this affect regulation and ultimately? the individual investor. And jump in uh, anyone that I, I, for an answer to this one. Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe on? Matthew, because you've, you have been addressed uh, already. And, 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 and maybe we can also link that to another question that I'm interested in. Uh, namely, um, if cryptocurrencies have value, or if cryptocurrencies don't have value, how could you then explain that there is such a big market for me bits, crypto punks and, and these things? Now uh, maybe I don't know. It's it's a complex question, but maybe you can connect those two things: institutional relevance and value of cryptocurrencies.
2: Yeah, I think I think those are two separate questions. Uh, the role, what does the role of institutions in the crypto market? Well, that I think what that means is that the potential uh, audience and, and if you want to call it investor, or I would actually call it participant base, will get bigger because if. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley have a crypto desk and they allow their clients to trade through them that will open up the, the, that market to to a broader number of, of institutional and, and investors. That has nothing to do with what the value of those of those crypto assets might be. Uh, and I was speaking with Nicholas uh, the other day about this um, and you know I'm, I'm currently going through a transition from you know leaving behind, I guess the the old old finance and I'm moving you know moving headfirst into the into the kind of new new finance, uh, and and I've kind of stood back for years and just watched kind of amusedly how you know the rise of Bitcoin and the rise of cryptocurrencies, and I really spent quite a bit of time recently looking into this and trying to understand w- where is this value coming from, uh, and there's kind of two camps. There's the camp of uh, uh, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger. Jamie Dimon a few years ago, who said Bitcoin is worth zero, should be zero. Uh, and then you've got Mike Novogratz and you, you know the, the the Winklevoss twins and others who say it should be equivalent with gold, so it should actually be five hundred thousand uh, dollars a Bitcoin. I I put myself after looking at it, I I put myself more in that Bitcoin is worth zero because it represents nothing. Uh, it was created from nothing. It doesn't represent actually anything except A computer program, computer code. Uh, But then I was reading a very, very interesting blog by uh, Ben Hunt from the Epsilon Theory. Uh, And when I first read it, I thought he was crazy. Uh, But the more I thought about it, he was exactly right. Uh, And he says that Bitcoin is not worth nothing. Bitcoin is worth actually potentially quite a bit because Bitcoin is actually art. And there is a lot of value in good art because good art is a very scarce thing and it never gets used up. And I think this also explains why. Why is Bitcoin fifty thousand dollars and Bitcoin cash one thousand three hundred dollars? There was a fork in the in the code a few years back they're, they're almost identical. Actually, you could argue from a utility standpoint, Bitcoin cash should be worth more because you can do things with Bitcoin cash that you can't do with Bitcoin um it's it you can uh, it, it settles faster you can trade more you can do more more transactions with it but there will only ever be one bitcoin uh just like there will only ever be one game stock and uh and what i think is happening is this has created a phenomenon in in, in the market but uh, i think when people say that bitcoin should be viewed as a store of value i think that's i think that is ridiculous i think bitcoin is a store of volatility it's not a store of value but if you look at it from the perspective of art then a lot of things start to make sense.
1: Well that's a very interesting point. But, but, but is- how do
3: you explain then what, what I mean how do you compare that to gold? I mean gold is always the traditional store value it's highly volatile as well. You can just say it's digital gold. So I I kind of I I I get the the, the notion of art and perhaps like the uniqueness of bitcoin but I'm not just and I still think like it's closer to a digital gold that is frictionless global, better transportable, permissionless, uh, you know, in that characteristic that's closer
2: to art. I think uh, I actually was in that camp for quite a while that that bit that cryptocurrencies Bitcoin is kind of a virtual gold. But again, the more I looked at this, the more I realized that 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 argument actually doesn't have uh, doesn't have much to stand on from my perspective. And that and there's a few reasons for that. One is. Gold has been a store of value for thousands of years. Uh, Bitcoin has been around for, I think, what, 12, 12 years, 13 years? Um, and uh, so there is a, there is a fundamental tenant in finance and the value of anything, and it's trust. Uh, people have trust in gold. Uh, also, gold has utility. It's, used, it's an incredible uh, conductor of electricity. It's used in jewelry. It has industrial applications. It's in everybody's smartphones. Uh, And then in the other corner, you have Bitcoin, which what can you do with Bitcoin? Um, You can exchange it for for fiat money if you you own some. But Bitcoin itself can't be it has no utility. You can't do anything with it. Um, So I think I think it is it is tempting to make that argument. But I don't believe I don't believe that really holds much, much value.
1: Nicholas, I, very I really think we we need to get to an end because things are running very quickly. Is that right, Nicholas? I mean, so we are, we should enter into the discussion. Meanwhile,
0: right? Yeah, I mean, this is but this is where we're at. What is the value? I mean, I think this is what our our viewers are really interested in: is, is what is the value of crypto? Why does Bitcoin trade for fifty grand? Why is Dogecoin now fifty cents when it was you know less than a point zero zero one a year ago um and you know this but to this the main point i think uh mr uh p Huza has said this correctly is i think this is what is on our listeners minds what do you think will be the future use of crypto and will it replace fiat money will it ever will will we come to a world that that ever happens and i wonder um with you know the discussion going on matthews you're your point where Bitcoin is to be valued as potentially like a Picasso in a house where this has artistic value, but can be replicated. The blockchain technology is not unique in its own, but the fact that it is a Bitcoin and it was the first blockchain technology that has value to it or Dogecoin. The fact that it's a meme, the fact that it's, you know, the, the masses uh, pointing, you know, the middle finger to the establishment that has value in the fact that it's Dogecoin, but the, the, the technology behind it is not what is valuable. Whereas on the other side, um, we have uh, Boris and uh, Jorgen and Simon, who have this other idea of what is the value of crypto? And will it replace fiat money? And, you know, this, this idea that crypto, the, the reason it was invented was to, to detach the dependency of, of finance from governments. And what happened with the quantitative easing after uh, the 2008 financial crisis where the U.S. essentially printed money, um, you know, the blockchain no longer allows this to happen. And that is, in other words, also valuable. So I wonder what you guys think uh, about this question.
3: So perhaps let me just one one, uh, I think, fundamental point that is super important and, and important uh, to, to me to make. Um, the public and, and this discussion is, is way too focused on Bitcoin as a store of value and replacing fiat. I think Bitcoin was just the first application of blockchain and cryptocurrencies. And sometimes it also looks like the, the most ridiculous application, like who would ever replace the US dollar, right? We'll see how it's going to play out. And if it's digital gold or a piece of art, I think what is much more important is crypto driven networks provide for the first time a, a incentive mechanism to organize information markets at scale driven by computer programs. right? And so every single information market in this world will at some stage move to a crypto driven um, uh, platform where the participants, the users, the suppliers, will will build their own economy of trading information services over that platform. And that I think, is like much more important than the question is if Bitcoin is worth fifty thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars, It's the remaking of information markets on a global scale, driven by computer programs and and in, in kind of driven by incentives uh, from all of the participants. And you see that already playing out right now on the Ethereum platform with decentralized finance where you have an exchange like Uniswap that is basically a peer-to-peer exchange uh, for, for tokens uh, and currencies where there's no middleman. And actually the people that, that, that are participating in it, the liquidity providers, the market makers, they're getting fees for, for providing that service. It's not a single central instance that does anything like that. The community owns the protocol they do the government's, they vote on governance proposals. And that, I think, is the super exciting vision for, for, for cryptocurrencies or kind of tokens in general. I'm um, less focused on Bitcoin and how much it's worth. I think that that's the real
2: innovation that we're going to see.
0: Yeah, and, yeah I, would, I, would, I, would, I would agree with, I would agree yeah,
2: with uh, Boris completely on, on, on that point. I think, uh, you know, in a few years, five years, we're going to look back and we're going to see bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as we see them today are just the opening act it's not about the big story is not about cryptocurrencies or bitcoin the big story here is about blockchain and the value that blockchain can release in many different asset classes it will create a completely different investment paradigm um and i firmly believe in five i don't know how long it will take but in five years ten years bitcoin will go where bitcoin will go and dogecoin will go back to Near zero, um, but no one will be talking about then because it will all be about blockchain and tokenized assets and, and and everything that can be done with that. And it's an incredibly exciting technology that's going to transform finance as we know it.
1: And that might also give a part of the answer to the question which was just raised, namely whether digital currencies are going to replace fiat money currencies. Um, so maybe it is so that the existing Cryptocurrencies that we currently have are probably not going to replace um, the fiat currencies that we have. But that a classical monetary system like the dollar or, or, or the euro will be digitalized um, on a blockchain. Um, I, I think this is more or less for sure. It, could you say it like this? Or is that is that right? I and mean, Boris, <laughs> you said any piece of information one day will be. Um, on a blockchain. So, and that's, I'm trying to, to but Jürgen, I think you want to say something.
4: Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, what I, I think that the, the discussion is driven by greed, which is a very strong human motive. That's why everybody's talking about the Bitcoin price. Um, I was personally surprised why this pickup of Ethereum just happened so lately because I think the network is really has... The thing that um, you know I was seeing in it when we started mining on it. Um, but uh, it took quite a while to 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 catch this up because there was so much um, around the Bitcoin thing that that shifts now a little bit. I really believe in that, that the the ethereum technology and the smart contracts, which is like the easiest thing to see that you could cut out a middleman there. Like on the option market, you know, issuing bonds and so on and so forth. Um, but but even that is, I think, hard to, to evaluate how much then one Ethereum would be worth. I, I think it's a very diffi- difficult question. If I would get a guess, you know, I see Ethereum more on the rise, the, the Dogecoin thing. I mean, I don't know. I don't understand. I mean, I have to admit this. Um And uh, the Bitcoin, I mean, you know, let's see. I mean, the the, the time that they're still going to issue coins is going down. It's really short now. So let's see what happens to this network once, you know, nobody can make kind of owner less money through mining. Um, and, And then we see what will happen to this network. And I think it's extremely tough. I mean, at the moment, everybody that is invested somewhere is like super happy about it. I guess that's also the reason why we have this talk right now. We wouldn't necessarily had this a year ago. Um, I mean, I'm happy to have the same panel again in half a year and, and see where we stand. And then and let's see what the noise is then going to be and, and where GameStop is going to be. And I, I think then, then Marcus is going to say, you know, Pharma was right. <laughs> it was just uh, some uh, behavioral humans acting that, you know, shifted in the wrong direction.
0: Speaking about behavior, we do have a comment from one of our guests um, that asks about the connection um, to Robert Schiller's uh, narrative economics um, to explain this phenomenon. Um, And I guess this is also kind of talking about the GameStop uh, idea as well. Well, that's a very good
1: question. And um, I mean, when when this discussion is coming to an end, I would like to make something like a closing the loop. But I think the closing the loop... Uh, between old finance and new finance is by behavioral aspects of finance. Uh, so I, I think really this is the this is the connection point. Um, because I mean I'm I'm the moderator I'm not I'm not asked really, but uh, and that's at least something that I want to imply. Does anyone feel entitled or competent to answer that question? Behavioral aspects of cryptocurrency values? I mean, one thing, and and Lino's. i I would like to get back to that as soon as we close the loop. And um, I don't know how how disciplined we have to team with the with the time schedule, but it's typically good advice to basically use not very much more than uh, the scheduled time. But one thing that I really w- would like to understand before we close in that context of cryptocurrencies and blockchains is this market for art or me bits, crypto punks. Uh, all of those things which are tokenized by non-fungible tokens. Uh, I mean, you mentioned that, Nicolas, in the very beginning, namely uh, that there was one piece of art um, sold by Christie's, I think it was called People Every Day or something like that, for real money, not crypto money. Is anyone here, so as the very last aspect of the whole thing, who feels competent enough to explain that to me or to, to the audience? Why are people paying $60 million for a JPEG file?
5: I would, I would love to go on this one actually, if, if I might. Um, sure. and, and it actually plays into something, um, and I want to pick up again, actually something that Boris and, and Jürgen both said, uh, and also Matthew. Um, is the incredible power of the Ethereum network. And a lot of people ask me, okay, what is the use case? What is the use case of Ethereum? And I, and I really want to bring this message across to all the WHO students who are listening right now and are still studying it. Ethereum is, is more like the internet than it is a currency. It is the internet of value. And it means you ask me for a use case, every single application that you're using in the internet right now, we need to, or most of them, or many of them, will rebuild them on Ethereum. Social media will rebuild them. And, and why do we rebuild them? Because the first time the internet was this copy-paste for free for all. And this will end now. we will ha- go to an internet of value where we have an exchange. So I, I, I produce content. Uh, I get value back and I consume content and I give value back so quickly. And NFTs are one of these use cases. So an NFT is a, it, it's simply a token that um, is limited in its, uh, in its um. Uh, in, in, yeah, in it in the amount of tokens that exist so I I can not only like if I have a pixel of a Picasso I not only know I have one pixel I know exactly which pixel I have and that makes it so interesting for art now um, for one I, I know exactly which piece of, 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 of because like before that right like we had only copies we have the first time the very first time in the digital world with originals and this is now what we sell as an nft we have this this we, we are not copying it's also technically interesting so we're not copying the, the original data that is, has been secured in a server and display it but we stream it and i know some tech will now uh probably disagree with me but but as i understand it is it, about that and um so so we have now in in, in digital original and i just want to say if nfts have these these value i was talking with a few people about it and, and they were saying they were a little bit like they said, it's pretty difficult right now because some of these NFTs simply give you a private license, so you buy it for 60 million or whatnot, and you're only allowed to. I mean, you're not even allowed to display it somewhere, which is just just crazy. So I, yeah. But the use case, right? We we I mean NFTs. You can not only use them for art, but you could use them for for certificates, for digital Microsoft license could be an NFT, right? And and this is again, I would say, as Bitcoin is is the is the it's just the prime of a blockchain so is these nft sales just there's a new technology on the horizon and 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 it's going to change a lot it's going to change finance and many other industries and i would really encourage all the wu students to look into that
1: all right thank you very much and uh, thank you very much to everybody who was who was here um let me now try to really close the loop and and come to an end um what we have seen, I mean, we were starting with the question of whether information is still appropriately processed by the markets, and we were discussing a couple of counter examples, at least examples which seem to be counter examples um, um, against the efficient uh, processing of market information. And I think that is a very good format to address those questions. And I'm also very um, grateful to Nicholas and to Mattia, who have organized this session because that gave us the opportunity to talk about those things. And if I'm coming back, um, my impression is the following. I mean, even in the old days, we always had situations where markets have not yet been understood by the people. So one of the most often cited papers in the world is Rolf Band's small firm effect paper, where small uh, capitalised companies basically traded at prices which were considered to be crazy at that period of time. and. What I think personally is that the markets are are, are acting based on behavioral attitudes. So the the markets have a certain behavior, but they have not yet perfectly understood the information which is there. Um, So what is wrong, according to what I think about the efficient market hypothesis, is the assumption that information is understood immediately. Um, If you modify the efficient market hypothesis and say it takes a while until the participants at the market, even though those are really many thousands and hundreds of thousands of people, but still it takes a while until the market is becoming efficient again, then I think the whole thing begins to make sense again. So we are not perfectly understanding, I guess, what the value um, of NFTs, of Bitcoin, of of Dogecoin, of uh, Ethereum is, there is a value, um, it seems to be a value, at least that this is what the behavior of the people shows us. Hey, I mean, they assign a value to it. It has not yet been understood. So therefore, my conclusion, also based on that discussion, which was very enlightening, is um, markets are probably still efficient. I mean, somebody uh, cited also Warren Buffett, um, uh, who said that um, markets are voting in the short term and in the longer term, you get to a stage which is rather a stage which could be characterized by efficiency. Um, so glad I'm, I'm glad to say as a professor of finance that not everything is useless, what we learn in the uh, in, in the classroom. However, it has always to be adopted. Um, and uh, it's a very exciting discussion. And of course, everybody needs to basically be on the pools of the time because they're always coming up phenomena which are new, which are not understood, which people don't understand. And that's also what is so extremely exciting about financial markets. Um, that's at least what I think. Um, and therefore, thank you very much, Nicholas and Mattia. And thank you very much, Matthew and Boris and Simon and Jürgen for joining. And thank you very much to everybody who is out there, whom I cannot see, but I guess you see us. It was a great pleasure for us, for me, for everybody. And I hope that you keep connected to the financial markets and more importantly, to, or to buy some school of management.
0: Thank you so much, Professor Rudolph, for that um, generous outro. And I would also just like to add uh, onto the list of people to thank for tonight's event, the VehaU Video department, um WHO marketing department, and of course, uh, Felicia Hummel and Alexander Denica uh, from Impraxi. Uh, we appreciate all your help in making this event possible. And, of course, one last thank you to our wonderful panel uh, panel guests. Um, we hope to see you all back here at one point on VeHo Inside Business. This is our new live series that we're calling Perspectives, uh, with the inaugural episode as of now completed. So well, um, good luck to all of you in the meantime, and we hope to have you back soon.